In this week's lesson, Brother Brzezinski continues the series on Ephesians with a lesson called, We Are Now Home. Well, it's good to be with everybody again. On a, I like this weather. It's cool. And um, another awesome thing about this day, it's not just September uh, the 17th, but iOS 8 was released today, which I feel pretty good about. Just me. Nobody else. All right. That's all right. Oh, yeah, you do need a 4S or newer. To, that's true. Oh, yeah, that, that may be true as well. So, obviously, uh, Brother Juan is not here tonight. We miss him when he's not here. Uh, I think he's out on business or whatever he's out on. But aren't, he's just done an awesome job, and I love and appreciate him and his leadership here. And um, It's always good to have Brother Kilman, who is here to kind of just give me a look if I'm if I'm if I'm kind of treading or stomping where angels fear to tread and um, <laughs> uh, but you know I I feel like I should you know every time I get up to speak just kind of preface it by the fact that likely uh, I will be stealing something from Brother Kilman because it's just inevitable almost but before we kind of begin with this lesson and where's Brother Ross you can take a nap, but just be ready to come back up and lead worship and, and help out. Uh, I want to ask before we begin, if we could kind of brainstorm here as a group, what is home to you? How would you describe home? And I would love to get a couple answers, please. Wherever God is. Wherever God is. Just went right to that one. That's cheating. Where my family is. Where your, where your family is, where your husband is. I like both of those answers. We can't really beat those answers. That's not even fair. I wish somebody would have started with, like, you know, where my Xbox is, and we, we could have progressed to this. But where the food is. <laughs> yes, where the food is. We are in a Pentecost. <laughs> okay, so those are, those are really good. So, I mean, maybe our definitions, and those were really actually quite good definitions, but whatever definitions that we do come up with, um, one thing that it will probably, and we did come around to, is this idea of family. So whether we have this idea of home being like Christmas time and everybody's happy or we're out on the porch in summertime, inevitably we're going to come around to the fact that family is, is kind of this central piece of home, right? And, and obviously not everybody has an excellent family life. That's just the reality. But we all kind of, when we think of home, we conceptualize family. So uh, as, we, as we get into Ephesians tonight, uh, I, I think this is, this is Paul in a certain way. It's him kind of giving a treatise on what Christianity is. It's his chance to say, this is, man, this is what Christianity is about. And he's really, really giving us a lot in this letter. And uh, what I think the, the big message here tonight is, is that Paul is telling us that it's a privilege to be home. It's a privilege to have a spiritual home. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. But before I do, I want to tell you a story. Do you guys like stories? All right, sweet. So this story is about me, uh, and not too long ago, when I was locked out of my house. So it was a Thursday night, and it was before a hyphen. I was trying to get to the hyphen event. A lot of you guys are out there for hyphen. <laughs> okay, so, and before I was getting ready, I figured, you know what, I'm going to go for a little jog. 
So I go for my little jog, I come back, I've got obviously just my jogging clothes on, I have my phone with like 6% battery left, and I'm coming home and I realized, you know what, I just locked myself out of my house. So bad news bears. So what I do, of course, is I think I must certainly get a hold of the most important people who I, are reliable, who will help me. So why I te uh, voxed Brother Lopez <laughs> is <laughs> regretful. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I voxed him. I'm like, Brother Lopez, you know, I know you're, you know, what's going on? You know, I know you're coming up north and explain the situation. And he kind of laughed at me and was like, ah, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I text my aunt and uncle, nothing. So then my phone goes dead. So I have no keys, no wallet, uh, dead phone, and Santander's not getting back from work with the garage door opener until like five hours later. So I'm just like, what do I do? There, there's just, so I went for a walk. I walked around a lot. I walked through Klipsch because uh, I live over there. I, w I probably walked six miles just strolling around. But the worst part about it was uh, I was, I was kind of having fun with it. I, I walked to a McDonald's and I was thirsty because I was a little sweaty and I was hungry. I hadn't eaten dinner. So I go into a McDonald's and I figure, what are they going to say? I'll ask for a burger. They, what, are they, what can they say? No, I'm still, I still don't have a burger, even if they say no. So in my uh, <laughs> foolishly uh, bravado-ish mind, I figure, well, I'll go smile at the lady behind the counter and just say, hey, can I have a burger? I mean, come on. Um, so I get in there and there's a middle-aged, humorless, charmless man behind the counter. <laughs> and, I, and I'm... And I'm like, I, I begin to ask him, you know, for this hamburger. And he just looks at me with such a look. And I was instantly like, all my charm gone, all my confidence gone. I was just like, wow, this guy thinks I'm like a loser bum. Like, he was looking at me like I did not belong in the neighborhood. Like, why don't you go back down to, I don't know where, some bad neighborhood, okay? Um, and, and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm like an, I'm like an, He's looking at me like an outsider. And, and I know I've got enough money if I had my wallet to buy 12 burgers or whatever, right? But I have no access to my finances. I have no access to my car. I have no access to my house and my refrigerator. And it was a humbling experience to be locked out. It just the feeling of being on the outside. And when we get into this lesson, uh, this is what I think Paul is trying to get us to understand. Uh, and he begins in verse 11, and the verses for tonight are through 11 through uh, 22. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. So he's saying, just to begin this, he's saying, don't forget, in verse 11, don't forget that you were locked out. Remember that you didn't always have access to what you have access to now. There was a time, he says, that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's pretty rough, <laughs> right? That's pretty rough. Brother Ross, you're welcome to take a nap. I'll let you know when it's time to wake back up, okay? So what's going on here is that they're without access. And this is the position of all the Gentiles, right? But that seems rather harsh to me. Why, and I'm thinking to myself, why in the middle of this letter that is for the most part talking about what we have in the Holy Ghost and spiritual blessings, why does Paul take the time to then 
remind us of what losers we were, to remind us that we didn't have access? Why would he even dig up the past? Anybody else wonder that? Just me? So I think he does it for a very good point, and, and he's doing it to remind us about where we were, to make sure that we have a proper attitude about the blessings that we do have. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We who were once far off are made nigh. Verse 14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So, I, I promise I won't be long tonight, but let's not get in a hurry, because this word is good word. This is good word, for he is our peace. And, and when we talk about this middle wall of partition, what's going on here? What is this middle wall of partition that we're talking about? And what is going on here is it's temple language. So, in the temple at Jerusalem, uh, there were different courts, and there were uh, walls between each area of the temple. So, there was a, a temple or a court for the Gentiles, and the Gentiles could go into that area, but they could not go past. There was a specific court for the ladies, the Jewish ladies, that they could be in. There was a court then for only Jewish men, and then beyond that, there was a court only for priests. So depending on who you were, you could not go past certain boundaries. And even on the walls where this wall that you could not go beyond if you were a Gentile, it said in multiple languages on the wall, whoever is captured uh, will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. So if you went beyond the wall of partition without having access, they would, it was punishable by death. And, and this is what is being talked about when we talk about he is our peace, who hath made both one. He's made who one? He's made us all one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition. Brother Ross, I thought you were going to preach, preach this whole sermon there for a second. But we'll, we'll get there. You can maybe help me. And that middle wall of partition is what Jesus came to destroy. To put it another way, in Galatians 3 and 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's pretty cool, right? There's neither green or yellow. There's neither... I mean, you name it. We are all one in what Jesus did. And I can imagine that that if I were a Jewish person, I might be a little upset with that. But we're not going to get into all that. Verse 15 says, Having abolished... In his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And this is, I don't know about you, but when I read this like the first time, it's not entirely clear to me what's happening. I've got I've to really dig into what is happening. So having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What do we mean Jesus abolished in his flesh enmity, even the law of commandments? And again, let's take, take another step back and look at this in even a bigger picture. What was so bad about the law that it had to be abolished? And to take, ask another question that I think is a good one, why was the law established in the first place 
if it was meant to be abolished, if it was going to be done away with. Certainly you guys have thought about that, right? Does it not sometimes seem like there's a disconnect from the Old Testament to the New? If you just kind of look at it like, well, hang on, this law was established, and now all of a sudden it's abolished? What, what's going on here? <clears throat> and let me first say that God is not an arbitrary God. He doesn't do things just because, hey, it seemed cool at the time, right? That's not God's mode of operation. God has a point to everything that he does. He's not an arbitrary God. This whole law thing was intentional, and there's things we need to understand about why it was put into place. Number one, the law was never intended to be a permanent thing. It just wasn't. The law was not intended to be permanent, uh, like, other, like other covenants that were permanent. And number two, the law was designed to serve a purpose of preserving the nation of Israel. And from the nation of Israel, th this whole seedbed, this whole fertile soil of truth and doctrine that would be brought through uh, the, the years, and it, it, it had all the doctrine of who God is, and out of this fertile soil came the Messiah. So it's, it's important that we understand that the law ha did serve a purpose. It was not pointless. It, it had a very important purpose, and to use an analogy or use a, an illustration, you know, I did not, I wouldn't have known what Jesus was even doing on the cross had I not had the context behind it and the foundation. For example, I would not have known that it was by the shedding of blood that we had remission of sins, except that this was practiced and established, and now as we go through the Old Testament, it's all pointing to what Jesus did. If, G if, if Jesus would have come in a vacuum, we would, we would have had no clue what was happening. But the whole Old Testament was a teacher leading us and pointing us to what Jesus did. So the law had a very important purpose. It was just not a permanent thing. Not pointless, just not permanent, okay? I'm going to skip over verses 17 and 19. We'll come back to those. Have I been going for at least seven minutes? Does it feel like 37 minutes to you guys? Because, okay, hallelujah. Ephesians 20 uh, through 22 says, And ye, and, and are built, talking about us, talking about the church, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And if I may take a moment to just get slightly ornery, uh, you know, I'm thankful that here we are built on a right foundation. Amen? Amen. We are. But, but I can't imagine, like, Sister Troxel, uh, you were speaking of, like, spiritual riches in Jesus and some of these things, and we're, we're hid with Christ, you know, in heavenly places, and this is all incredibly awesome stuff, but can you imagine being at a denominal church, and I won't name names, but can you imagine being at some church where they're not filled with the Spirit, and they're there's some preacher up there in his intellectual way trying to communicate to people that grasp the spiritual riches that you have in Jesus. And they're like, they're not even filled with the Spirit. They don't even, how can you, I feel bad for that interchange. They don't have any spirit within them that witnesses with their spirit that we are his. And they're just sitting there like trying to like force, force themselves to mentally assent to what this person's saying, but that's really all that it is. It's just mentally trying really hard to believe enough. But you and I, 
we know that we are his because his spirit witnesses with our spirit. And we know that we are his. And we know by which we have access. We know that means. We know what it feels like to be filled with the spirit. So I, I just, I don't get exactly, I feel bad. I feel sorry for, you know, people on the radio or denominal people who have to try to like, convince people without the power of the Spirit to back up what, what the depth of what this Word is saying. And, and beyond that, you know, let's just be honest. You know, there are some doctrines that men have, have created that are not just not on this foundation. They're not in this zip code. They're not on this block. They're just goofy. Amen? So we are built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, now I'm going to get into this just a little bit more. So I do not believe in holiness simply because I happen to be raised in it and I thought it was a really cool tradition. I believe in holiness because this is the foundation. Uh, so progressive revelation. Have you ever heard Brother Kilman mention progressive revelation? <laughs> no, never. Nobody has. But what does this mean? It, it means that we don't like get a truth from God and then we get to the next step and God's like, you know, disregard that. I really didn't mean that. What I meant was this. It's like, no. W what it means is we go from truth to truth to more truth. We go from a small amount of revealed truth to more revelation to greater revelation. That's what happened as Brother Ross was preaching to, <laughs> to us earlier. This, the Old Testament is all pointing and it's growing to how we can see the man Christ Jesus coming and dying for the sins of the world. It's all pointing and we're getting more truth, more truth, more truth until we finally see, not in part, but in full, what God was up to. Okay, so I, it, <laughs> I don't believe that God is one God just because it's, it's a fun idea. I believe it because this is what maybe, I don't know, Deuteronomy said and Isaiah said it about 87 times and it's just affirmed again and again and again. God is not going to go back and say, just kidding, I'm three persons in one God. But God is going to build on the truth that he's already given us and bring us forward. So we are built, thank God we are built on a right foundation of the foundation of the prophets and apostles. Amen. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom he also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So in Ephesus, there was a temple to the goddess Diana. It stood, it took 200 years to build. It was 420 feet long. It had 127 pillars, 60 feet high. And if you were in Ephesus, you kind of lived under the shadow of this huge structure. And it's in that environment that Paul says, the real temple here is this meager looking church that meets from house to house. And I'm making of you living pieces, living stones, lively stones to be part of this spiritual temple. It's going to be a good thing. To, and I don't know if we'll like see it like with our physical eyes, but that's exactly what God is doing with us. We may not look like much, and you know what? We may never in our flesh have like billions of dollars as an apostolic people to build huge temples and, and coliseums, but you know what? We are God's church, built on the 
right foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Amen. So I was, this is going to be a very short lesson, but I'm approaching my final point. But I'm going to take a little time with this. And I skipped over verses 17 and 19. And this is the main point I want to make. Uh, Verses 17 through 19 says, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, talking about Jesus, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. So we have access by one spirit to the Father. We are truly of the household of God. And if I could say it in this way, I'm home now. I'm home because this is where family is. This is where God is. We are of the household of God and I'm home now. We are family and we are home. We're family and we're glad to be blessed. It's like the prodigal son. He, of course, had a runaway spirit. He ran away. He spent all that he had. And he comes back and he says, Dad, just take me back as a, as a hired servant. I don't need to come back as a son. I, I'm not even trying to be in this family anymore. Just take me back so I have clothes and food and I'll serve here on, on the estate. And what does the father say? Of course, he says, this is ridiculous. My son who is dead has now come home. Let's, let's kill that fatted calf. Let's have a feast. Let's, there's privilege with being home. There's blessing with being home. Not that we deserve it, but there's privilege and blessing of having a place to say, this is where I can just be at home. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when I moved from Wisconsin, I left my hometown, I left my brothers, I left my mom and dad, and you know, it, Brother Vite, you moved from Mexico, your mom's back there, your brothers are back there, we all have as we grow up, we just have to break ties, and is it not true that it can be a lonely trek to have what, what was once just this home, <laughs> and, and, and that definition seems to disintegrate a little bit as we get older, am I right? And, and Lord knows for some people there was not much there to disintegrate to begin with. And that's just the reality of the broken world we live in. Yes. But home is a beautiful thing. And I, I so appreciate that when I do drive back up to Wisconsin, yeah. when I get to go back and I get home, my family, they're like, ah, you're here. They love seeing me. And I, I don't have any qualms about going to the refrigerator and getting a Coke or getting a sandwich or just putting my feet up because I'm family and I'm home. And one of my favorite definitions of home comes from a Robert Frost uh, poem. And in this poem, there's two different people, a husband and a wife, and there's this old hired hand who he's sick and dying and he comes back to this farm because that's the place for him that he doesn't have any family, but for him that's the place that he felt at home. And this husband is really not wanting to take in this dying old man and he's like you know home's the place where when you go there they have to take you in and the wife says you know I should have called it something you somehow haven't to deserve and I love that definition because that is home it's something 
we somehow haven't to deserve. We're just family. There's blessings that come with just being family. Now, that is an aspect of what Paul's trying to show us and trying to tell us, is look at the blessings. You're just, you've got a place where you can just eternally just come and you've got a Father who loves you. You've got a Father who's going to lavish His blessings on you. You've got, a, you've got a place to be home, just to be secure and to be home. That's a blessing. But He also makes sure we understand this is a privilege. So I, let's use this analogy. I love my grandma, and if I go over to her house, she's going to, she decks it out with like crackers and dips and cheese ball and hors d'oeuvres and man. But you know, I wouldn't come to my grandma's house and walk in with my muddy boots and just kind of romp on through her, that nice room where she keeps vacuumed and say, all right, grandma, where's the food? Because that's disrespectful. I know I'm family, but there's some things I wouldn't dream of doing because I understand that it's a privilege. It's a privilege that I have family who loves me. And I've, maybe when I was a young brat and I just expected it because that's all I knew, I, was, I probably had a bad attitude about things. But once you've been outside, once you've been away, and you've experienced, I don't know, cooking for yourself, or you've just experienced a little bit of what not being home is like, you have an appreciation of home. Amen? Where am I going with this? Somewhere. So let's just have the right attitude about the blessings that we have. We have a wonderful church. We have a wonderful pastor. It would be a shame for us, as much privilege as we have, to have to learn that lesson the hard way, to have to be locked out. Let's not even go there, all right? But seriously, I mean, I don't mean like physically locked out, but, you know, your own... Your own sin pattern can just lock you out. You think, man, how can I face those people again? How can I go in there when they know what I've done? We can lock our own selves out just and alienate ourselves in our own way. But let's not even get there. If we will keep the right attitude, then it's a privilege to have these blessings. Okay, and this is Christian maturity right here. Not that we have to, like, you know... I'm not going to do anything until I get the list of chores, but it's, it's such a privilege to be home. Yes, I'm, I'm thankful I can go to the refrigerator and just grab whatever I want, even though I didn't buy it, but it's such a privilege to be home. What can I do to serve you, Mom and Dad? What can I do to serve you, Grandma? What, what can I help you with? Oh, you need help lifting this heavy object? Please, allow me. That, this is Christian maturity. It's starting to say, it's such a privilege. I have such blessings in the Holy Ghost. What can I do to be a servant? In Jesus' name, help, help us just close with one of those awesome worship songs that you were playing. And